The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Have you ever felt like you've been living on the far side of the desert? I've been meditating and just praying through Exodus, the third chapter. This journey is not an easy journey. I mean, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, John tried to stop him. The scriptures say that John tried to deter Jesus. So Jesus knows what he has to do, and he's going to do it. He's determined. He will follow step by step what God has asked him to do. John tries to stop him, and Jesus says, no, let all things be done. So he baptizes him. The Holy Spirit falls on him in power. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does with him is lead him out into the desert, the far side of the desert. If you have not spent desert time, you are not a Christian. The first thing Jesus does with every believer is he takes them out into the desert. He takes them into the wilderness. And there he begins to train and discipline them in the ways of righteousness. Some of you have come to Jesus, you've been told you're saved, but you have refused the desert journey. So what is the desert journey? Well, the desert is the world, for sure. But it's more than that. The desert is the place where God begins to move in your heart to cause you to see the world as a desert, to begin to understand that everything necessary for your salvation must come from the hand of God. This is not a self-help project. This is not a do-it-yourself deal. This is not buying a dresser from Ikea, bringing it home in a box and then spending 10 hours trying to figure out how to put it together. This is God moving you into a place where he can begin to deal with your heart. One man, he said, I've never been through the desert. I said, well, If you've never been through the desert, it's because you've refused to go, because it's where the Holy Spirit takes everyone immediately upon conversion, if they are willing. But many have refused to move beyond the sweet milk that brought them to Jesus, and have refused the wilderness discipline that teaches one about righteousness. Most people that I know who are called Christians in North America have never really submitted to the discipline of God in their hearts or their lives. The only thing that will cause a man or woman to submit to the desert is if they want something. God has a hard time getting a handle on Americans because they don't want anything. They have everything. Oh, they might want more money or more leisure or less pain, but they don't turn to God for that. They just pick up a side job or go to the doctor do whatever they have to do as Americans to accomplish what they want and to get what they want. The wilderness is when you recognize you can't go and get what you want. It's beyond you. And you know that 
Only Jesus can bring it to you. I was writing thank you notes last night to radio listeners who are donors to this broadcast. And I opened it by saying my heart is burning within me for the lost and the dying. I can't win. I can't win them. I can't win you. This is something God must do. This is something beyond me. Oh, I can come in faithfulness, and I can speak what the Lord gives me to speak, but the salvation of your soul, I can't save you. Only Jesus can save you by the power of his blood. Your salvation is an amazing, awesome magnificent work of grace that God does in you, but he does it by taking you into suffering. He takes He takes you into the wilderness. He begins to discipline you. He says, for example, to me, this was many years ago, he said to me, turn the television off. He said it in almost that voice. He'd been speaking with me like we're speaking. And he answered some questions that I had. And then he said to me, now turn off the television. It was abrupt. It was straight. And of course, television was my drug of choice. When I would finish with a Sunday, I would go home and turn on the football game. I would veg out, often having some friends over. And we'd spend the evening watching television. The Lord said, turn the television off. And so I turned the television off. And then I would sit in my living room on occasion and look longingly at the television and say, wow, did I really hear from God? Was I supposed to turn the television off? Is that possible? Is God serious? And then a great conviction grew in my heart. Take that large screen Sony television that you paid a thousand plus dollars for and put it out in the trash. So I did. My neighbor came home and he said, Ray, does that television work? Yes. Would you help me carry it into my house? Sure. And the television was gone, and I've not had a TV in my home since, and I never will. For it is a fount of wickedness. It is a fount of worldliness. It is a drug of choice for many Christians. And as long as you're consuming that drug, Jesus cannot get a hold of you. It's the food that satisfies your heart. And so, When God says, put it away, he's trying to change you from the food of the world to the change to the food of the living God, the manna. But as long as you're feasting at McDonald's, he can't give you the manna because you have no taste for it. I want to have a taste for Jesus. And so when he tells me, get rid of the television, turn it off. Now I find out how hungry I am. And then he says, when you get in the car, don't turn on the radio. Ride with me. Well, always I used to turn the radio on and I would listen to it constantly while I was driving. Now, there are times when I will still check the weather, I'll still check the traffic. But by and large, I drive everywhere with no sound in the car, no music. Why? Because it's a legalistic law? Absolutely not. It's because I want to be hungry enough for Jesus that I don't, so I don't fill up on. On foolishness, I don't fill up on darkness. I want Jesus. When you begin to want something from Jesus, 
And he begins to bring you into the discipline to increase that hunger. Join him quickly in increasing that hunger. That's one of the reasons I fast one day a week. I fast in order to feel the hunger in my body so that I can turn that hunger toward Jesus and say, Oh, Jesus, I'm hungry for you. I need your bread. I need your blood. You said this is real food and real drink, and my body's hungry. Lord God, I'm hungry. Would you come and feed me today? Sometimes I feel like I've been living for many years on the far side of the desert. The only thing that comforts a man on the far side of the desert is that he will on occasion see the burning bush. And he will on those glorious occasions have the Lord call you. Now, if you're listening to this broadcast, it's obvious to me, perhaps not to you, but it is obvious to me that the call of God is upon your life. And he is saying to you, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. In other words, step out of yourself. Now, when God begins to speak to Moses in this third chapter, he tells Moses that he has come down to talk with him because he wants to rescue the children of Israel from the captors in Egypt. And he says so in verse 10, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? This morning as I was up praying, I just had an overwhelming sense of, Oh God, Oh Jesus, who am I? And I began to feel again the deep sense of depravity in my soul, the immaturity of my soul, the lack in my soul. I began to remember as I was praying for different precious ones, I began to remember things that I've not done well in. He began to speak with me about certain people. And I was impressed in my spirit with how deep the wounds are in their heart. How broken they are in their spirit. How desperate their lives are. And I said, Lord, who am I to even speak into their hearts? Who am I to address these issues? You know, when you step into another person's life in the midst of their pain and anguish, when you step into the life of another person in the crisis, it's not time to be flip. It's not time to be casual. It's, it's surgery time and the knife of the spirit sword of the Spirit has to be used very carefully, not carelessly, lest you even more deeply wound that precious heart. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by the wounding of my own heart. I say, oh God, how is it possible to touch the life of another person in any way but a destructive way. There's an old, old Jewish piece of wisdom writing. It talks about how will you recognize the Messiah when he comes to you? And the answer is that gathered at the city gates, are many 
brothers and sisters who are wounded. And when you go to the city gate among these, these wounded, you will see one man. He too has bandages. He too is wounded. But he will not take off all of his bandages at one time. Instead, he will be helping others to take off their bandages and pouring in the oil and the wine and binding up their wounds because he is the wounded healer. Henry now in that now uh, departed brother wrote of these issues of the wounded healer. Jesus was a wounded healer. He had deep wounds in his heart from rejection. The word tells us he was a suffering servant, or I prefer to call him the wounded healer. I'm very conscious today as I come to you that I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I also come to you as the wounded healer who serves Jesus. And so I cannot come filled with my own woundings, all the while admitting that they are so. But rather I must come and help brothers and sisters unwind and unwrap the wounds of your hearts that the oil and the wine of the word of God could be poured into those wounds and you could find healing. It's a very wise thing to come before the Lord God of heaven and to say as Moses did, who am I? Who am I? Well, the truth is Moses was nobody. Moses was a has-been, washed up, finished at the end. His knowledge of Egypt served him no good. His expertise in the military and strategy served him no good because he had no soldiers. He simply was a wounded servant, a wounded healer, healing his sheep, suffering in the desert. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Nobody, Moses, nobody. You're nobody. That's why the scripture refers to him as the humblest man on the earth. He recognized he was nobody. As long as we carry any pretense that we are somebody, we cannot be used by God. Stepping out for just a minute. As long as we believe that we have powers and skills and abilities, and we can't do anything of value for the healing of another brother or sister. Who am I? I'm just a wounded healer. Who am I? I'm just a servant of the Most High God. Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm not special. I just know God loves me. And then God says the most profound thing. The most profound thing in all of Scripture. It's called the Incarnation. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Incarnation theology. And God said, I will be with you. So he was born in Bethlehem in a manger, so that he could say truly, fully, completely, 
I am with you. I am with you. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, the sign that I'm with you is that you're going to go and rescue my people, and you're going to come to the mountain of God. Oh, my brother, my sister, my greatest desire, I lift up my hands before God and say, Oh, Jesus, the great sign I'm looking for is revival in America. The great sign I'm looking for is that you would heal the wounds of your people and that you would bring them together in glorious reunion on the mountain of God. That's why we named this broadcast Pilgrim's Progress. Because our destination is the celestial city of God. It's to that place we are going. That's the cry of my heart. My heart burns within me for the salvation of the lost and the dying. Many of you today, even as I speak to you, you're having your heaven right now. This is all the heaven you'll have because you have refused to leave your sin behind. You have refused to go into the desert and suffer the consequences of laying down your addictions, your alcohol, your fornication, your lying, your cheating, your stealing, your bitterness, your anger, your judgments, your accusations. You have refused to lay down and go into the desert. So you're having your heaven now. And many of you enjoy hearing some preaching. It's your hobby. You'll listen to sermon after sermon, preacher after preacher, keep the radio on all day and listen to everybody, but refuse to go into the wilderness with Jesus because you don't want to leave your hobbies and addictions. You don't want to leave your money and your life. You won't step out of your life. Oh, I can't say to you today that the depths of my heart in compassion toward you, that you would leave your sin, that you would come to your senses, and you would say, oh God, I will step out of my life, and I will surrender to you, and all that I have belongs to you. I give it to you, Jesus. So Moses He's told to go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, and he said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt. Oh, my brother, my sister, I want to tell you today, the Lord has seen your misery. The Lord has seen your heartache. The Lord has seen the way you have been treated. He has seen the wounding of your soul, the wounding of your spirit, the breaking of your heart. He's seen all of this, and his promise is that he will bring you up out of that. He will heal your heart. He will heal your heart. But you must be willing to leave Egypt behind. You must be willing to go out into that wilderness with Jesus, where only Jesus sustains you, only Jesus can carry you in that place where, where you know the Lord God of heaven. The elders of Israel, they'll listen to you. And then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. 
you will not be able to escape your Egypt. You will not be able to escape your alcohol or your lust. You will not be able to escape your worry and your fear. You will not be able to escape all of the bondage of of Egypt unless the Lord God of heaven stretches out his hand and compels the demonic forces to release you and let you go. Verse 20. This is Exodus, the third chapter. Verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. On the cross, Jesus Christ struck the devil. The word says that he would strike the heel of Jesus. And Jesus would strike his head, crush him. The promises are in place for you. If you will come and grab these promises and say, Jesus, I will go out into the desert with you. I will leave behind my love of the world. I will leave behind all of my entertainment. Jesus, I choose to walk with you no matter what the cost is. I am determined, Lord. I know. I know I must be delivered from Egypt. And then you'll lay your television down. You'll lay your video games down. You'll lay down the lust, the bitterness, and the anger, the resentment. You'll lay down the resistance and the unbelief. And he will carry you off into the desert on the journey toward the Cana land. Now it says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that they, that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor, any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. The Lord has made a promise that if you'll go out into the desert with him, he will plunder the Egyptians for you. He will break the poverty from your heart and from your life. He will set you free. Moses answered, But what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. We'll throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran away from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Can you see Moses dancing around in his bare feet on that hot desert floor, trying to get behind the snake, and finally he gets behind it, and he reaches out, and he grabs that snake, and he's sure it's going to flip around and bite him. It's a poison serpent. But instead, it turns back into a staff in his hand. He must have been absolutely astonished. When God calls you into the desert, he's going to do some things in your life that will absolutely astonish you. You're going to say, how is that possible? But he'll do it. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. 
So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Terminal disease, miserable, miserable disease, painful, anguish, separated from everybody, unclean, cursed. And the Lord said, now put it back into your cloak. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his, rest of his flesh. The Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign. Oh, do you remember? Do you remember Jesus' first miraculous sign? <laughs> he invited his disciples, new, brand new disciples. He invited them to go to a wedding party, a week-long feast. And so they went. And as it happened, they ran out of they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mother was involved in some way in this wedding, family wedding of some kind, and she came to Jesus and she said, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Now this is going to be a great shame to that family. But Jesus says, Woman, this isn't my time. In other words, it's not time for me to perform miracles. It's not time for me to go to the cross. But Mary knew her son. And she just said to the man, just do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus saw that he was caught by his mama. He also knew it was time for a sign. His disciples needed to see that he was who he said he was. And so he had them fill these great stone jars. Far more wine than they needed for this banquet. Even though it was a multiple day banquet. And Jesus took some out in a dipper, poured it, and said, here, take this to the head. They did, and the man said, wait a minute. Usually, the cheaper wine is served first, and the better wine, I'm sorry, the cheaper wine is saved until last, and the better wine is served first. You've done just the opposite. This is the finest wine. Jesus, we're told in the Gospels that this was the first sign. The first sign. If they do not pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they might believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And then Jesus, so that we would believe in him, poured out his blood on the ground as the final sign that he was the Messiah. Moses, he still had excuses. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I want to say Moses, 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 Moses. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him his sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Moses said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm happy right here herding these few sheep in the desert. I don't want to go back to Egypt. They'll kill me. 
Why would I want to go back? I tried. I failed. I don't want to go back. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. There are things that the Lord wants you to do that he has not equipped. He has not equipped anyone else to do. If you don't do them, that work will remain undone through eternity. Well, he may call someone else who will do what he's been asked to do, but it won't be the same as if you had done what you were asked to do. And I want you to see something. Our God, our Lord Jesus, for this was Jesus speaking to Moses. Our Lord can grow angry by our constant refusal to lay down our idols. By refusing to be serious about who he is, about rejecting what he calls you to do. He can become very angry because you refuse time after time after time to go into that wilderness, to go into that desert. Says then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Well, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. And his heart will be glad when he sees you. You will speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to say. He will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if you were his, as if you were his mouth, as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. <clears throat> Pardon me. He's saying, take the promises of God in your hand and get on your way. And stop delaying, Moses. Do you hear God saying that to you today? Stop refusing to go into the wilderness. Stop refusing to do what I've asked you to do. God finally becomes very impatient and angry. The scriptures say angry. Because Moses will not submit to what God wants him to do. But notice, verse 18, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. What? God is not sending Moses back to Egypt to check on his family. He is sending Moses back to confront Pharaoh and bring the people out. So he is a mushmouth to his father-in-law and says, let me, his father-in-law, he's his boss. He works for him. Saying, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. In other words, let me take a short vacation, Jethro. And Jethro says, go, I wish you well. The Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt. For all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Now, at a lodging place, on a motel, on the way back, the Lord, the Lord met Moses. And he was about to kill him. And Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife and cut off her son's 
foreskins and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. She said, So the Lord left him alone. She said the bridegroom of blood referring to the circumcision. What's that all about? Well, it's really quite simple. Moses tried one time and utterly failed and almost was killed by Pharaoh and had to spend 40 years in the wilderness learning how to be a sheep herder so he could have a humble heart. Why? So he would know beyond any question that he had no ability and no power to rescue God's people. And now he is being given direction from God on specifically what's going to happen. God is speaking with him. When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I gave you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you have refused to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. He's telling Moses exactly what he's going to do. But Moses has not yet circumcised his boys. This is very serious. Because circumcision was a sign given in taking the foreskin off of a male penis as a sign that that man could not produce children on his own, that children were given as a gift from God's hand. Circumcision is a sign that you have no power in yourself to accomplish anything that has value before God. That it must be done by the Holy Spirit moving through your heart and through your life. And when the Holy Spirit comes and moves in you, he gives you the power, and he equips you, and he sends to you the people that need to come, and he brings to you all that you need. It is not out of your own wisdom or out of your own flesh. It is God. And I have to tell you, in all transparency, that I've spent many years in the wilderness with God trying to teach me this simple lesson. It is the power of God that must come. It is Jesus who must circumcise our hearts that we would recognize that salvation is not by works. It is by grace. It is by faith. Righteousness, real righteousness, being made righteous and innocent before God is not something that is done by the willpower of man. It is something that is done by Almighty God in our hearts. Salvation is a free gift, but it is a real gift, and it transforms a man's heart. <coughs> it changes him. It restores him to Christ's likeness, and Christ comes in and dwells in that man. This is not self-help. This is Jesus giving to us the gift of salvation. But you must be you must be willing to go out into that desert. You must be willing to allow him to remove from your heart all of the idols, all of the golden calves. You must depend on him for your food and your water. You must depend on him for your strength and your courage. Everything must be given over into the hand of Jesus. Have you given everything into the hand of Jesus? Are you trusting in his mighty power? I'm trusting Jesus for this broadcast. We're coming to the end of the month. And we're only about halfway there financially. And I thank many of you who have brought tithes and offerings to the Lord. 
I believe that this broadcast is the work of God and it should be sponsored and supported by the members of the congregation who listen to this broadcast day by day. Yes, I called you a congregation because you listen carefully and the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart. I wish I could meet each of you. I wish I could know who you are. That's why I invite you to come and meet me at the church. You'll meet Jesus there first, though. But just very quickly, let me give you the address where you can send tithes and offerings. I know that the Lord will provide as he moves in your heart and convicts you. And convicts you to sacrifice. I want to thank you for being obedient to him. Our mailing address is the National Prayer Chapel. National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Again, that mailing address is the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Now, I'd like to invite you to come on Sunday and also on Tuesday evenings. We have a a much less formal meeting on Tuesday evening where there's a lot of sharing, where there's an hour of prayer, time to sit before the Lord in quietness, and then time to open the Word and study. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's located right next to the Hilt Memorial Chapel. The All Saints Anglican Church, and their address is 14851 Gideon Drive. 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. And the zip code is 22192. Drive in the main front parking lot. It's a large white structure. Drive around in the parking lot to the back side, and there you'll see a large white sign that says Lower Lobby. Walk through that ground level double glass door, and immediately on your left hand side will be the, the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel. If you sense the Lord calling you to come, come and meet with us on Tuesday evening at 6.30. We'll begin praying. Sometimes people don't get there till 7.30 or even 8 o'clock because of work assignments, but they come directly from work. And whenever they come, they're welcome. So come and worship with us on Tuesday evening. We'll begin prayer at 6.30 p.m. until 7.30. And then at 7.30, we'll begin sharing and looking at the word. I also invite you to come on Sunday afternoon. Our worship time begins at 12 noon. You have time to go out and catch brunch somewhere or to attend the church that you're a part of. And then come and visit us at the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to come. And when you come, you'll be be in the presence of Jesus. So I welcome you to come. Now, my cell phone number is 703-489-1785. That's my personal cell number. If I'm not able to answer, I will try to get back to you as quickly as I can. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We have videos streaming. We've made changes in that webpage, and it's much easier to use. You can also listen to the podcast. You can listen live to this broadcast by going to iHeartRadio 
and then you can listen on your iPhone or your Android or whatever phone you have. It's about Jesus. It's about getting this message out so that men and women who are having their heaven now but are miserable, who are deeply wounded in their hearts, can find Jesus in a place of rest. I hope today that your heart is burning in your desire for Jesus. I I pleaded today before I came to the broadcast that it would not be casual. That you would not just go on about your day, but that you would get on your face and begin to cry out to God. That you would let Jesus accomplish what he wants in taking you into that wilderness. That you would begin to see the difference between Jesus and the world. And you would run to Jesus. Now, we just have a a couple of minutes left in this broadcast. I'd be interested in your feedback on this study of the book of Moses. We're going to continue this tomorrow. You're welcome to email me at pardonforsin at aol.com. That's P-A-R-D-O-N for F-O-R-S-I-N S-I-N at aol.com. Let's pray. Mighty God of heaven, you are the king. You are the Lord. And it was your blood that was shed on Calvary as a final sign to us of your incredible love and compassion for us. Lord, I know that many listening to this broadcast today Two minutes. are deeply wounded in their hearts. Lord, I pray for healing to flow. You know just the words that need to be spoken. You know the actions that need to be taken. Lord, I'm standing by faith today that as I speak to your people, you are healing their hearts. You are pouring in the oil and the wine, and you are binding up their brokenness. Lord, I am praying for tremendous testimonies of healing, of change, of restoration. Lord, let your name be lifted up over this radio broadcast. Let the words of praise for you, Jesus, ascend from from our hearts. Lord, I love you. Your people love you. Break the hopelessness, Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.